Hello and welcome. I'm Elizabeth Turp, a counsellor, trainer and writer. And I'm Paul Gorns, a careers advisor, trainer and lecturer. And this is How We Care. Conversations about what it takes to help people for a living. We are two experienced and committed helping professionals who are passionate about finding the best ways to take care of the people we help through our work and to support helping professionals to take care of themselves. So if you're a counsellor, careers advisor, coach, social worker, medical professional, a learning and development or HR professional or any other skilled helper or aspire to be one, this podcast is for you. Let's reflect on how we care. Hello and welcome to episode 13 of How We Care. We've postponed the episode we were talking about having on professional standards until next month for scheduling reasons and we've got an exciting replacement for you today. We're going to be talking about helping clients gain clarity and shift perspective. Um, So I'm going to pass you over to Paul to tell you about the origins of this idea and introduce the subject. Thanks Elizabeth. Yeah, so um, a couple of things I've been doing recently kind of um, prompted the idea for this conversation. Um, uh, Last week, um, a colleague and I did a a career guidance refresher session for um, the Career Development Institute, which is um, our national body for the careers profession. So we were working with practitioners who um, at various stages in their career, but who fancied um, revisiting some of the um, kind of fundamentals of doing uh, particularly one-to-one career conversations. Um, And um, one of the things we shared in that session was um, things that people can do as practitioners that can cause a shift in the conversation, can uh, bring clarity or insight to the client or get them to see things in a different way, a kind of reframing of a situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, I've been out on the road, uh, kind of in schools, colleges, universities and so on, assessing um, some of the students that I work with at Coventry University who've been doing one-to-one career consultations um uh which is a joy really because they they are very much at the stage that they're um they're not fixed in their practice and they're trying different things and they're willing to try different things to see if they work Mm -hmm. and so um i've just found that stimulating for myself being quite long in the tooth and having been around for a while but there's there's a lot of value in refreshing our practice and also trying different things. Um, and we've we talked about courage before, haven't we? And there's an, yeah. an element of courage, um, sometimes for people who are very experienced in diverting from what you usually do to try something different. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so that's really um, what we were, what, what was on my mind in thinking about this. Uh, and, and I was confident that it would resonate with you because, um 
of all our previous conversations really mm -hmm. absolutely i like what you've just said there about it, it can feel a bit risky to do that and i think that's kind of aligned with everything we've spoken about where even though we have on the surface of it quite different professions a lot of what we do is really instinctive and sometimes we might be used to working a certain way but then we get a feeling that this other particular strategy might work for a person or an intervention and you are taking a risk by offering that you know and, and it also it's of course it's the way that we offer things as well which maybe we'll touch on you know it's like you don't have to kind of put something on somebody you can do it as a very subtle suggestion you know yeah. and all of that but yeah i mean that's part of the excitement of the work isn't it that you don't know every day because everybody in front of you is different so so sometimes an unusual thing might be what they need at that given moment yeah very much so yeah i think that's that's really good the, the risk element and the courage element so um i we had a slide on our presentation which was um I, i'd written it as a title uh, things that work um, mm -hmm. And before we delivered, I change it to things that can work with can <laughs> simply because, uh, as you say, um, you will do something with one client and it works brilliantly and you will try it with somebody else and it will not. Um, because, as you say, everyone responds differently. So um, I think one of the things about experience, what the experience teaches you is um, just because something doesn't work once doesn't mean it won't work. Uh, you know, if you tweak it or do it differently or do, do it with somebody else and vice versa, mm -hmm. something might work brilliantly. Um, uh, but it, it, it with one person, but the next time you try it with somebody else, it just doesn't quite have the same effect. Um, and to realise that's not about you doing it well or badly. It's about how it how it uh, lands with the person mm -hmm. um, and whether it resonates with them or not and i'm wondering if there's a slight difference maybe in the work there that often you might be having a short amount of interactions with a person as a careers person yeah. whereas i i may know my clients more deeply over a longer period of time uh, yeah. so it may be because when you're saying that i'm thinking does that happen to me you know i'm thinking does it happen that i that something doesn't work i think it, it it doesn't but only because i would know their style in a different way maybe to the way that somebody offering what you're doing would because you don't usually work with people in, over a really long term necessarily yeah. do you no so, and, I, and i think that that that's helpful to me because if i could qualify doesn't work um not that i think it, it ends up <laughs> In, in something terrible happening but almost uh let's try this okay um and it doesn't perhaps have the same impact that it had with another client so, yeah yeah so okay, same level we'll try this instead so it's yeah, just yeah, yeah. That, so adapting of, yeah huh? uh, adapting within the session so um sh shall i give some of the start with a couple of examples yeah. maybe yeah great um and and perhaps we can you know share some of the things that have worked for us i i, I want to talk about um visualizing and visual images mm -hmm. um uh, in in a, in some different ways really um that i've seen work work very well or have tried and have worked very well 
Um, <clears throat> um, a, a former colleague of mine who um, has written a book, um, she's called Leanne Hambly, she's written a book called Creative Career Coaching with uh, co-author Kira Bonford, and they're both very experienced career practitioners. I know Leanne uses a lot of visual image, images, so she uses some quite big cards the size of a, a large book, mm. um, and they have visual images on. So, for example, there might be a, a junction with several crossroads, or there might be a forest path, or someone standing at, standing at the foot of a mountain. Mm-hmm. And, and she will show uh, a client that she's coaching um, some of these images and say, which, which, which resonates with you in terms of where you are now and where you're thinking about your career mm-hmm. and, and what you want to happen. And quite often that kind of unlocks, um, it helps clients to open up and, and, and talk about their experience in relation to those visual images in a way that they wouldn't if if she was just asking them questions like, well, where are you at at the moment and what are you thinking about? So yeah. you know, that, that can be quite a powerful way to unlock <clears throat> some of their thinking. Mm-hmm. And as we've said before, often the work we do enables people to articulate things that they'd not really perhaps thought about before. The other thing, um, I'll talk about this because I, I had a coaching session. Um, oh, gosh, I'm probably going back 10, 15 years. Mm. Um, but um, I used a metaphor. I said, I feel at the moment like I'm standing. Uh, I've got this wall I've got to climb over. And, uh, you know, it feels like a big wall at the moment. And um, the the person who was coaching me said, all right, he got a piece of paper and drew a wall. He was actually mm. good at drawing, much better than I would be. And then we talked about what you need to get over the wall. We ended up with a ladder. We ended mm. up with a picture of what was on the other side of the wall that I really mm-hmm. wanted to get to. And again, that that um, that sense of doing something visual rather than just having a verbal conversation yeah. was really helpful. But the other thing I've seen um, a student do um, a while ago, which I thought was really, really good, was uh, with a young person talking about um, getting into um, a particular profession. <clears throat> and quite often careers practitioners will say, okay, you want to be, uh, you want to be a lawyer, you, you want to be a barrister, say, um, what do you think that job is like? What do you think you do? Mm-hmm. Every day? What would be the pros and cons? But what this, what, what our student did was, to say, right, close your eyes and imagine you're in that job now. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are you wearing? Who's there? Um, where are you? Yeah. What are you enjoying? Um, what might happen that might be challenging? So it's almost uh, transporting them into, you know, not speculating about the future, but trying to imagine that that in the present they're actually there. And mm. and again that that. That was very uh, that was very powerful, and um, one of the privileges I have of doing the job I do is observing, sitting mm. observer, watching this practice. Fantastic. Uh, so, so yeah, they're kind of using the visual people's visual facilities, and it, and obviously, it's in in Leanne's case, it's showing them pictures. Yeah. And in the case of my coaching experience, it was creating a picture. Uh huh 
but but obviously with the third example it's the mind's eye rather than actually. yeah and I guess that's really fascinating to hear you talk about that because in the work I do most usually it's it's visualizing things so and and another there's so much coming up for me I don't want to miss anything I'm thinking but one thing is that these types of approaches are really useful for people who are more much more visual yes than cognitive and that's you know that's something that's becoming more understood now that neurodiversity is being discussed more you know there's like people people think learn imagine in all different kinds of ways don't they and a lot mm. of people need visuals so that's just an aside really but that's just to acknowledge that so yeah sometimes i would i would use visual imagery with people but that will be the cue would be taken from how they talk you know and how they you know how they kind of think about things and yeah so that's a really powerful one like you say it's it because it's doing things like that actually bypasses the cognitive and takes somebody a bit more into feeling and and you know and it sort of takes you away from the the self-doubt and self-judgment and puts you in a place of being with an idea and a concept which is really powerful but i also in the last few years i've started working with people actually getting them to draw things so i've done a bit of training in using oh, okay. art, art approaches with clients and it's 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 for a different reason to to for what you're doing so it'll be more to kind of work with unconscious things that somebody can't access you know but the, the idea is similar so it's like again you, you introduce it really tentatively and you have to do a lot of work around it initially to kind of get past the expectation that you have to be able to draw to do it etc etc but they would be doing the drawing and often they would be doing it with their non-dominant hand as a way of accessing and bypassing their conscious mind it's really powerful stuff it's it's actually frightening sometimes <laughs> so and you do need to be trained in it it's not something you should just be messing around with without any training um yeah so in that case it's like it's it's shifting, it's gaining clarity in, in a, a really extreme form because it's kind of finding a way to access something that you may not even have a memory of, which is why it can be so powerful, you know, and amazing. But yeah, I mean, that's that's blowing my mind to work. Like, I mean, I, I did it, I experienced it myself. That's how, I, and then I kind of do a lot of art stuff anyway. So I thought I'll do some training in that so I can actually use it. But yeah, it's, it's really wonderful, yeah. Great. So I'll uh, another one I wanted to share, um, probably engaged in something similar. But um, so uh, let's say there's this scenario where the the career professional um, is supporting someone to think about uh, a particular job application. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> partway through the conversation the person says oh the, I'm, I'm not going to get this job I'm not going to apply for this job it's just it's not for people like me it's people who are more qualified than me or more mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. more confident than me or <clears throat> or whatever and um, again I've seen this done very powerfully where uh, so the advisor says okay so your best friend comes to you and says exactly what you've just said to me. So they mm -hmm, say, mm -hmm. you know, that job we were discussing, I'm not going to go for it. I don't have the confidence. I don't think I can do it. 
what would you say? And there was a, you know, the, the, you know um, one particular um, conversation I can remember, there was a long pause and then it was like a light bulb had gone on, you know, oh yeah, right. Well, I'm not going to say to my best friend, oh yeah, don't go for it. Um, so yeah. it, it's really that, it's that perspective shifting, isn't it? Of right, take your, um, just what we've been talking about, I guess, with the visuals, take yourself out of your, current mindset and mm. consider this from another perspective yeah from person's perspective and what you would do and again very very powerful and I, and I and I think it's just it's just now made me connect to some of the things we've discussed around self-care mm-hmm. which treat yourself the way you would treat mm. care about others you, mm-hmm. right? because we can tend to treat ourselves worse yeah yeah that's really interesting because that's i've written that exact same intervention on my notes here and for me it will be i'll only use something like that if someone's being really 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 hard on themselves right and and then as a way of bringing compassion back in you know for me what's coming up for me is i might use that if somebody because i work a lot with people who who've been recently diagnosed with a a chronic health condition and if somebody's being really hard on themselves blaming themselves you know just being awful to themselves that's when i would use an intervention like that because i would say you know if, if like you've just said if your best friend came to you in this situation what would you say to them would you be saying all this to them would you be saying it's their fault? Would you be? And then they're horrified like that. That's like, whoa. <laughs> then they realise what they're doing to themselves, you know, because sometimes it's just awful to hear the way that we talk to ourselves. And how, yeah, it just, yeah, that's a, it's a really great one, that, because it immediately flips the thing, doesn't it? Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, shall I share another one? Yeah, go on. So, um I'm I'm calling uh, on the slide I called uh, that we in the workshop we did the other day I call this past decision review. Um, so basically, someone's struggling with a big decision, mm-hmm. um, and they kind of say, "Oh, I'm so indecisive. Oh, I just don't know what to do. I'm really stuck with this." Referring back to our episode we did on helping people with decisions, there mm. are lots of ways in which we can potentially help people. Um, but sometimes I think a quite effective way of cutting through that fog Mm. that they're experiencing is saying, right, uh, take me back to a previous decision you've made that's, that's worked out, that's been successful. Um, and, and, and we, you know, we kind of go through that decision step by step. What were Mm -hmm. you thinking? What were you considering? Who did you speak to? What information did you seek? You know, what was it that ultimately decided you to make that decision? Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes people will say, oh, you know, it was it it was a strongly intuitive decision, but it was also supported by, you know, data or factual information. Yeah. Um, or, you know, I found it really useful to talk to um, my friend or, or you know, uh, a relative about this, and they really helped me to get perspective on it. Mm-hmm. So... You know, with sometimes without even saying things, they then are forming a strategy for dealing with that. Yeah, problem. and they're reconnecting with the skills that they've already got because they've used yeah. them before, which is really empowering, isn't it? 
they can't deny then that they've got the ability to do the process that they need to do. That's really good. I like that. Yeah. As I suspected we would, we, there's quite a lot of commonality here, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And even though we might apply them differently yeah. because we're in different jobs. There's a kind of common root, root or common idea behind some of these, mm-hmm. uh, I'll call them techniques or exercises, yeah. or ways of working. I, um, is there anything um, you think particularly works that you do kind of regularly that particularly works for you? Well, there's something that sort of links to what you just said earlier, and then it moves on from that. So you just said there about something about people getting in touch with their instinct about something didn't you yeah um so that's something i would sometimes use if somebody's like really stuck in their thinking and why i can't do this and it's terrible and la 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 sometimes i might ask them what their gut's telling them you know to try and again get away from all the stuckness and into what they truly <laughs> truly want you know what they're you know what their sort of values are telling them or what their sense of something is, you know, because I think we've talked in lots of our episodes, haven't we, about how far away from being fully present we are as humans because we're so busy. So we're always in our own heads all the time. You know, we're doing things, we're thinking, we're planning. We're we're very, very rarely actually fully present with our emotional state even, let alone what's going on around us, just because we haven't, we haven't got the time and the space for it so to sort of in, support people to kind of in that moment because they're in the room with you and you can make the space that so, you know they've got the time they've got the space it's a very unusual scenario they can kind of shed all the other things temporarily you know, there's various different ways i would support somebody to get in touch with their real feelings about something because often what a person really wants when they're making a career decision or when they're having a dilemma or when they're trying to change their life or recover from something, what they really want is so hidden from themselves by the expectations of other people and what they think they should be doing and all kinds of, you know, externals that to try and help them. And again, it's different for different people. Some people just don't know what you're talking about. If you say that other people would like, are already working on trying to get more in touch with, what their gut's telling them about something and you know recently in recent years the the term what's your gut telling you is is become like scientifically backed because you know we've talked about this before i'm sure most of the listeners listening will know this but they've now shown by studying the body and the brain you know in different ways that the the gut is now seen as the second brain because it has so many connections and so many you know, messages going back and forth from the brain to the gut and the gut to the brain. Serotonin is actually made in the gut. So, you know, this is really exciting new information. And so it doesn't, it isn't as wacky maybe as it used to seem to ask somebody what their gut feeling is, because we often feel our truth in the center of our bodies, which leads me to another intervention that I would use with somebody if they are struggling to connect with their emotion about something or if they're too much in their own head about something and they can't make sense of how they feel I would literally just ask them do you feel that anywhere in your body you know I'd say can you tell me where 
where if anywhere you, your your emotion is at the moment or and then you know we would there's different ways to do that you might literally do a body scan with them you might do a mindfulness exercise but often somebody can locate something in the body like it'll, it'll often be in the throat so they'll have a blockage they'll feel a blockage in the throat or they'll you know feel it in their heart or their gut or you know or sometimes a physical pain so that can be a really good one because that takes you immediately into the present moment and it can bring a big shift just by doing that again a lot a lot of what we're talking about has a similar outcome doesn't it it's taking someone away from the stuck thoughts and feelings and right to the the actual underlying truth of the matter which is often what we're trying to do because we're trying to move people forward to where they want to be aren't we we're trying to support them to get there so we're not doing anything they're not asking us to do i think that's the other thing when we think about interventions i thought about this when i was thinking about this episode in that you know i would say i'm mainly a person-centered practitioner but i do integrate other approaches and so you know is it person-centered to use these approaches but actually i think it is a in the if it's helping someone get where they've asked you to help them to get <laughs> so mm -hmm. to actually make sense of and work through <coughs> the stuff sometimes you have to bring it round. And also, as I said at the beginning, it's how you offer an intervention to somebody. You don't say, well, where do you feel that in your body? You say, you know, well, how do you feel about, you know, investigating if you can feel that anywhere? You know, I'm wondering if you can feel that anywhere in your body. If they respond negatively to that, well, obviously you don't do it. You like you withdraw to, oh, okay, well, that's fine. We don't we don't need to do that. We'll do this, you know. But as I said before, you, you get a sense when you know, I mainly work with people in long-term therapy, so I usually get a sense of whether a concept or a thing is is aligned with that person's style or not, you know. So there'd be people that I would never do a bodily thing with, and there'd be people who do it all the time, and that's actually what they're working on in there before they started therapy. They'd be already working on those types of approaches to well-being and stuff. So, yeah, that's a big one for me. Does that, does that come up for you at all in your work? Yeah, it does. I I think that you've just captured, I suppose, the essence of what what we talk about every time, which is um, this idea of we we we're dealing with an individual person who is uh, very different to well different to everybody else, and that therefore our approaches um, have to vary. You know, we have to be we have to have. To, to develop that agility to um to work with them in the in the best way we can to as you say unlock i think you were talking about cutting through mm -hmm. to what they what they want us to help them with finding finding a way to i suppose whatever metaphor we use maybe a key to opening a door or cutting mm -hmm. through mm -hmm. kind of a the, accessing the baggage
one thing I've been thinking about uh, as we've been going along, and that, you know, I, I, you can hardly call it a technique. Um, it's just a, a, a communication skill mm-hmm. that I think is particularly valuable for people who do jobs that like ours, and that is the skillful use of silence. Oh, yes. Um, so it's not an exercise or a technique, um, but it's um, <clears throat> something I, I guess I encourage the students I work with to to use because uh, <clears throat> I suppose probably maybe more so in my profession than your profession, there's, a, there's an advice and information giving element mm. to it. <clears throat> and sometimes that can lead to a kind of right you want to be a barrister, I'm going to tell you about what you need to do to be a barrister. Mm, mm. Kind of five, five, ten minutes of the advisor kind of talking Mm -hmm. at the person, which is not ideal. Um, uh, But there's also that, uh, the element that we talk about, which is drawing out from the the client what their ideas are, what their plans are, what their obstacles are. And... um, Again and again and again, when when uh, our trainees do something like say the the client says something and they say, "Tell me more," you know, very rarely does the silence turn into a, a yawning chasm of nobody speaking. Usually, mm-hmm. the person then starts to talk. That they they think that something clicks and they think I'm being given permission here to take the lead here and do and and really talk about what I'm feeling. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure at the, at the same time, there's not just silence, but body language, which which helps that silence to be understood as I'm giving you space. It's not silence, which is, oh, you know, I'm, I'm switched off or I'm looking yeah. at my phone or, <laughs> or any of that. I'm so glad you've said that because that is so important, but it, it didn't even, I didn't even cross my mind because I guess it's so automatically part of what we do. I, but I do know from kind of reading people's discussions of the work that they do that a lot of therapists, at least, and counsellors find silence really uncomfortable. And and so, you know, some if they're trying to, you know, they're aware of that and they're trying to work on it, it can be a real thing they need the therapist needs to put a lot of work into because if you're working with somebody and we're talking about really like difficult concepts and important things here if you aren't able to give them that space when they're thinking because that's what we're talking about a person is thinking about or feeling about what's just happened and if you don't give them the silence and the space to do that if you jump in with the next thing because you can't cope with the silence, then that isn't going to be helpful for them. And it's sometimes the space that allows the clarity to come in, isn't it? So, yeah, yeah. I love that because and, and you're absolutely right. Not only is it you kind of showing the person that the silence is is intentional and OK, it's also you reading their cues because, in you know, people have different ways of being when they're silent often somebody when they're thinking their eyes will go upwards or you know their posture will shift or you know you get a lot of this is unconsciously read by the way but sometimes you have to like deliberately read it so you're allowing the silence and you can see the person's using the silence that they're not sitting there feeling really uncomfortable they don't know what to say next and you're not saying anything and that becomes awkward you know so there's a lot of reading of their body language that 
goes on in that. And it's this, I mean, it's great, isn't it? Because this stuff is so subtle and yet so fundamental to what we're talking about. So I love the fact that you thought to mention that and I didn't think to mention that. Isn't that great? Because it's both of us do it. So yeah, and I, I it wasn't on my I, I jotted down some some ideas beforehand. <laughs> I think we both had and I it wasn't on my oh, it wasn't yeah. on my radar to mention Just it but can't I think it help because, being great <laughs> <laughs> but I think it was big because of what you were saying about ways in which um I can't remember exactly how you said it but often we're we're talking to people who themselves are struggling to get to what they really think or feel because of all the the kind of baggage of mm. other people's opinions and the busyness of their lives yeah and um you know I, I guess this relates to a wider conversation about the space you're in at the time, mm-hmm. um, the, you know, how that, how the kind of conversation is set up, all of that, all, all of those conditions, which are conducive to having a, yeah. um, a conversation that, which allows them to kind of say what they want. Um, so, yeah, but s- silence is very powerful. And, oh, and yeah. perhaps, um I think sometimes underused, which is why I encourage mm-hmm. to, to, um, to at least experiment with it. Yeah. Because um, as you say, um, the, the, it, it's, I, think, I think with some practitioners, there's a pressure to feel like, oh, I'm the expert. I need, to, I need to inform. I need to speak. I need to fill the space. I should be doing something. Yes, <laughs> I, I'm responsible for controlling this interaction, mm-hmm. and um, sometimes that's so. So I guess part of the silence is surrendering some control. Yeah, now that's really interesting. You've said that because the the, di- <coughs> the dynamic is is different in what you're doing to what I'm doing. It's the intention isn't different because we're we as we've talked about many times before. We both have a very person centered approach, but the I guess okay so initially when people approach us for help they would be usually looking to each of us in some way as an expert as some kind of you know person who can help them you know and I think the dynamic in what I do is that that I don't know their power is the right word it's not quite the right for what how we approach it but there is a power differential in that dynamic and I think while you and your work try to bring that up and you try to make it a collaborate well it's a collaboration isn't it you know um it's not overtly worked with in quite the same way as what the work i'm doing because as you say you do have an advice giving role you do have a you know guiding role whereas i i don't have that in the same way and so i would be more overtly if anything bringing that down bringing bringing that expectation that I'm the one who knows the answers or that I can I can tell a person what they should be doing or you know, and, you know it's really actually lovely sometimes because it becomes like a bit of a joke with some clients when they're like oh I really want you to tell me what what to do but I know that you won't you know so it becomes like part of the process it's like yeah because I'm going to put it back onto you you know because I know that they know the answer you know that your clients know the answer too so I'm not saying you don't do that but I think it is slightly different yeah. yeah and that's really interesting as well isn't it yeah so something else that um kind of links to what we were talking about before with body language that i wrote on my list of things so 
um, that I might use an observation of a client's body language to kind of gain clarity. So, uh, yeah, so sometimes maybe the lack of clarity is, this is great, I've just thought of this now. Yeah, the lack of clarity might be in me. So I might be experiencing, yeah, this, this is a few different things. I might be experiencing something about what's happening in the room is confusing. So either the person is telling me one thing that's contradicting another thing they've told me. So sometimes they'll be contradicting something they've told me in the past. And then I will say, oh, well, it's interesting that you're saying that because last week you said this or whatever. And so I would I would be confused. So I would own it and say, oh, I'm feeling a little bit bewildered because this this these two things seem to be there. Also, I might I might say, but you're telling me this, but your body language is telling me something different. I don't know. Let's say so, you know, they're, they're, they're telling me they're OK, but actually they look like, you know, they're all crunched up and they're all, you know, so I might actually use that contradiction and reflect it back to them again, offering it, not going, oh, well, this is awful. And, you know, what are you doing? I would gently offer that to them as a way of gaining clarity, because part of the process in what I do is making sure that I'm understanding what's actually going on for a person. Sometimes they don't understand it themselves because there's so much contradiction. So in me kind of saying that and using that as a tool, that can shift and help somebody gain the clarity because they might not be aware that they've just been contradicting themselves it's yeah so that's yeah that kind of links several different things together i think that i, that I use with people yeah, yeah i i can resonate with that and i think um one of the ways that comes out um i think i've seen it quite a bit observing um interactions in schools and with younger mm -hmm, mm -hmm. clients that um they will say something like well i i should probably apply to go to university after my a levels and sometimes the the careers practitioner will pick up that that is said with such hesitation and uncertainty mm. that, you know we'll we'll can you tell me more about that? You you actually sound not so sure or not. Even the, the word should. Yeah. The word should, not word I should. want to. I want, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And quite often, and uh, you know, I speak as a parent, so you know, mm. parents uh um usually have uh, love their kids and have their best interests at heart. But uh, quite often that's the, the parents speaking through the child as yeah, you know, that's yeah. what the parents aspire for. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe that young person has got some different ideas, uh, mm -hmm. but feels that they can't kind of express those or, or for, for maybe, maybe too strong a word, rebel against that idea. Mm -hmm. So um, often with skillful practice, something else emerges as well. What I really want to do is this or, yeah. or even just... I've got worries about going to university. I'm not sure I could handle it. So, so, so some of that comes out. It's reminded me of something else which I, I'd written down, which is that can be an incredibly effective way of cutting through mm -hmm. um, a lot of um, conversation to, to get to the heart of something is using scaling questions. So, um, 
so it, it, given the example I've just given, or well, I think I should go to university, but I'm not sure on a scale of naught to 10. Oh, yes. How much do you currently feel you want to go to university? And then they say, wow, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what I think is incredibly good, and, uh, and when I've used that, I think it works 99% of the time in that almost never does somebody go, oh, let me think. Um, maybe it's three, maybe the, it's four. It just feel, it's a feeling, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Usually someone can very quickly go seven. That's really, um, yeah, great. One. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a bit like when you go to the hospital and they say on a scale of naught to ten, how painful is it? Oh, you know? man. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's that kind of thing you yeah. kind of know, don't you? That's uh, really important. That, yeah and and quite often what we encourage people to do if they ask a scaling question early on in the conversation is to revisit that scaling question at the end of the conversation yeah and say all right you said you were at seven based on yeah. what we've now discussed yeah where would, where would you put it because because often it's changed often they'll say oh well, now I'm a five or now I'm a ten or yeah so it's also a measure of the shift in perspective Yes. Yeah, because that that scaling is used a lot in CBT approaches to measure the scale of the problem and then right. to remeasure the scale. That's really interesting. There's a really interesting parallel there because what it does is it it bypasses any anything and, and brings you straight to just how does this feel right now in both of yeah. those ways, doesn't it? And then you're straight in it and you can just use it like and then that and it can be quite shocking what comes out of someone's map to them when they realise that it's only a three out of 10, when they've been telling themselves that it must be really high because everybody's telling them it's the right decision. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's so powerful. Can I come back to something else you just said before, which oh. really, really needs to be like named, I think, because it's so fundamental. In that example you gave there, if a practitioner didn't pick up on that should and not unsurety that that person is expressing, and went on to the next thing. Oh, let's look at these university courses and blah blah blah. You would you would miss the whole of the person's self and their what they need from that interaction. And so the power of proper full listening and attention is what you are describing there, isn't it? And the importance of that is is fundamental to both of what we do and everything we've ever talked about in this podcast i think but i think the difference is that it's kind of expected in my profession but i think in the in related professions that have helping conversations like medical professionals social workers different things it's not necessarily as highly prized a skill as we feel that it is and that ability is absolutely key to making the like the relationship that's required and the space that's required for somebody to gain clarity over their whatever it is they're bringing their life decision or their you know their trauma or whatever you have to be able to operate at that level of em well that's empathy we're talking about i mean there's different there's a model of empathy i think it talks about there being six levels of empathy maybe we can like actually revisit that another time where if you read it you'll be able to find it if you google like levels levels of empathy it's actually really profound that most humans operate at a very shallow level of empathy and what we're talking about there is not just listening to what's said but how it's said 
the tone it's said in, the posture of the person who's saying it, the words that are used, multiply complex, but also a human response to what's just been said. What does it feel like that this person has just said that thing? And that's where we're operating from, isn't it? It's not like, yeah. oh, there's just other things, so it must be true. Like, we're not just taking it on the surface level. We're taking it like, oh, we're inquiring into it on their behalf because they've asked us to help them. <laughs> so it's absolutely legitimate for us to inquire into, does it actually feel like what they're saying? You know, oh, I love this. There's so, so much more coming out of this conversation than I thought even, which is, I mean, yeah. Great, isn't it? There's so much. Yeah. Yeah, it's really, really good. One of my colleagues has a great phrase, which is uh, he uses with students, which is stay in the moment and go deeper. Oh, absolutely. Yes. So, so that 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 going back to that example, or I should go uh-huh. to university. Yeah. Um, is a great example of where you say if that is if that if the moment is not stayed in and, you know, as you say, oh, well, OK, let's talk about what universities you might go to um you know that 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 could really switch off that person's mm. true engagement so they'll they'll go along they'll play along and 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 cooperate and take part in the conversation but something will have been switched off yeah which will yeah. be i suppose it will be something in the mind will go well this person's not really listening to me or hasn't really picked up Mm. or worse than that i must be wrong because everyone else is telling me and now this person's telling me yes that's 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 really i mean yeah that's our role isn't it our our role is to stand outside of and really really hear what they're saying and you know sod anyone else in their life at that moment whatever they're saying it's up to the person in the room with us to decide whether they go along with or agree with what people in their lives are saying it's not up to what we think or, or anything. It's up to us to help them to find out what they feel about it. And that's why it's so exciting, isn't it? Because often, yeah. I mean, what you've just said there, that, that's so like so common in the work I do, that, that someone just, just can't get hold of what they really want to do because it's, it's so different to everything that's around them. You know, and, and it's, yeah, it's, it's stifles people. I mean, and that, that early career stuff is so important. If you go off on the wrong track at the beginning, sometimes people come back, don't they? Sometimes people retrain in the future. But once you go beyond a certain point in your life, you know, responsibilities, kids, whatever, it's so much harder to change track. And, and that's why what you're doing is so precious. I mean, it's great to hear it, you know, and, and realise the impact that you you do and the people that you train have you know because it's yeah it's just so important that this is done in in such a supportive and open kind of way isn't it it's yeah it's really great really exciting to to listen to it (laughs) okay so have you got any more examples or do you want me to move on to the kind of thing that people can try out um i'll throw in one more which is um just very quickly which is the um, um, channeling through a role model, like a hero figure. Mm. Or a, so to give an example, let's say if I say to somebody, right, well, um, is anyone you particularly identify with or admire? Um, and um, <clears throat> let's say someone says Martin Luther King. It doesn't mean that we go, oh, so you want to lead a civil rights movement or something. But it's more about 
okay, so what do you admire about them? Mm -hmm. And um, what is it that draws you to them? And um, often it means that we're aspiring to be like them in some way. So how does that play out in the way you live your life, in what you want to do with your life, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing? So, you know, and sometimes these are big, big figures like, you know, like Martin Luther King is a great example of a, of, of a big figure. And it's not like, oh, you know, I'm aspiring to make that level of impact because mm. most of us will not get anywhere near that. But just thinking about what, what are the essence of the qualities that I take from that person? What, mm-hmm. As I say, what draws me to them? And again, I think that can sometimes open up some new perspectives for people yeah yeah because it helps them to like articulate their values without (laughs) having to brag about themselves or you know feel uncomfortable that's a really that's a really great strategy i love that that's yeah that's really good because we all admire somebody don't we and i think what's coming up for me in in like personally for me i found that it's it's around creative people i've always been drawn to creative people and now i'm realizing that's because they represented what I wanted to be or what I am, you know, but I didn't realise that until I kind of worked through it and sort of what was it I was responding to and all of that. But that, yeah, that's really important, isn't it? And then you're giving them a, a like another idea for how they might, you know, a tool to take forward to how to inquire into what is it they actually kind of want for themselves in the future. Yeah. yeah. Wonderful. Okay. So shall I offer this exercise, which we kind of decided would be good as an ending exercise, because it's quite a simple exercise. It can be used for anybody at any point in their life. Some It can either just be a little bit interesting or it can be profound, depending on your needs and where you're up to in your life at any given moment. So I would use it sometimes if somebody is quite severely depressed. Um, I would certainly use it if somebody is feeling very isolated and lonely and there's a contradiction between that and what they're telling me about their life. So I'm, I'm, I'm saying that for a really important reason and that's that it's like everything else, you don't just use these tools randomly, you use them advisedly. So I wouldn't use this with a client who told me that they didn't have anyone in their life, for example. So this technique is used in lots of different forms of therapy it's actually used in activism it's all different versions of it um so it's and i call it a constellations exercise but i'm sure other people call it different things um and so it can be used to sort of place individuals in a group setting around an issue so what their relationship to the issue is but in this example i'm going to use it as a way of a person reflecting on the people that they've got in their life so it's about looking at what's relationships and what support have you got and similar to lots of things we spoke about today it bypasses sort of immediate and sort of society defined ideas and gets to what someone actually feels so all you do so if anybody wants to do this as themselves either now or later on you just get a really big piece of paper so an a3 piece of paper if you've got one you put yourself at the middle of the piece of paper which i always think is great because you're you know centering yourself doing something for yourself and then what you do is and and when i do this with clients i'll individualize it so everybody can kind of find their own way to do this that feels comfortable for them 
is you place everybody in your life who's important to you in any way. So that can be friends, family, it could be colleagues. It tends to be people that are meaningful to you. So it's not about putting people who annoy the hell out of you or your neighbor that you hate or something like that. It's important relationships. And you place each person in relation to you as if you were a planet and the people around you are other planets or stars or whatever you want. So, and you would do it, how, how close do you feel to them? So how close do you place them? How important are they to you? what you get out of the relationships you've got with them, whatever feels right for you, but you do it instinctively. So you don't sit there for ages thinking, oh, where should I put this person? Oh, they're my brother, but I don't get on with them. Oh, you don't do that. You just go for it. You just get a piece of paper. You just put each person on it, plot them on it fairly quickly. And then you're left with a representation of how you feel in that moment. Might be different next week. How you feel in that moment of what you've got in your life and the people you've got in your life now when you and i've done this myself because i tend when i learn a new technique i tend to do it on myself to see what it feels like to do it and it's one of those exercises that whenever you do it it kind of blows your mind a little bit because there's always something there that you weren't necessarily connected to in that moment or aware of and for most people the outcome is hang on a minute i've actually got a lot more people and support and relationships than I think I have. And I think right now at this moment in history, I think that is quite important because a lot of people are feeling very isolated over the pandemic. Some friendships might have kind of broken down a bit, you know, so it can be a really powerful exercise. And the reason I'm bringing it in this episode is because it, it helps somebody shift perspective if they're feeling particularly alone in their life and they're not actually alone. They're just not connecting with the people that they've got in the way that they might want to or in the way that they have, because then you can use it as a practitioner, you can use it to investigate what's going on. So this is used in interpersonal psychotherapy, it's used in family systems, in work, in all different kinds of ways, but a similar exercise. And, you know, so that doesn't matter. What matters is that you tailor it to the person and their kind of way of being. Some, some people might like to draw the people or, you know, you might use coloured pens, but whatever, whatever works. Um, but the outcome can be pretty profound. So you might want to try that out as an exercise, you know, on yourself or, you know, think about using it with people that you're working with or something like that. Um, and, the, and then you've got a like a physical representation it's also useful if somebody has had problems with mood and things like that then they've got that then there they can then bring it out when they need it also you can revisit it so like you were saying before about the scaling you can do it with someone when they're feeling really down and then you can also revisit it once they're feeling better and look at has there been any changes in any of these relationships maybe there's new people who've come onto the page maybe there's people who've gone off the page because they're not healthy relationships or you know there's all kinds of ways you can use it but it's certainly like a lot of where we started today with the visualization actually drawing something and committing it to paper does shift perspective as well so that can be a really useful intervention so okay so do you want to just say a little bit about the next episode that we're going to be doing which would be out in may do you want to say a bit about that yeah so um <clears throat> we'll be talking about um professional standards so um <clears throat> in a in a more explicit way because we've talked about professional standards <clears throat> 
in some ways through through all the episodes um but we're going to particularly focus on um in in professions like ours in helping professions education health professions coaching mentoring all of those things therapy um looking at some of the core professional standards which arguably are are, are are essential for for all of those and um we'll have a guest uh, on board who is um steve murphy who's a long-time career practitioner but specializes now in uh, assessing organizations through the national matrix standard mm-hmm. for um information advice and guidance uh, and so has a has a very good handle on um, what's required to successfully meet that standard Mm-hmm. so um that will be next time so great yeah. looking forward to that that'll be really good okay wonderful so thank you for listening and we hope to have you with us again soon thank you for listening we hoped you enjoyed this episode how we care is brought to you by elizabeth Turk and paul gaunt via Simplecast. case studies are generalized and do not relate to individual clients Please subscribe for more episodes, rate us and follow us on Twitter, details in the show notes for information on upcoming episodes. Many thanks to Ed Tidy for the music and technical assistance. See you next time. See-